Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Sabrina Magnan. Sabrina is from Montreal, Canada and is a food freedom and intuitive eating coach. She helps chronic dieters heal their relationship with food and their bodies and develop realistic and lasting health promoting habits. Serena has been on her own food healing journey through her battle with orthorexia, disordered eating, body dysmorphia and yo-yo dieting. Having experienced this for many years, she deeply understands what it's like to have your entire life revolve around food and your body. After discovering what actually works in recovery to stop feeling out of control around food and understanding the psychology of behaviour change, Sabrina now supports women all over the world to help them find true health, free from obsession and guilt. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Sabrina today to hear all about the ups and downs of her healing journey and to understand the incredible work that she is doing with her clients today. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So, Sabrina, can I get you firstly, please, to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so my name is Sabrina Magna. Most people don't know how to pronounce my last name because it's a French last name. I'm Canadian. I live in Montreal and I'm a food freedom and intuitive eating coach. So I help women who have a history of chronic yo-yo dieting and a very unhealthy relationship with food and their bodies. And I help them heal the relationship with food and their bodies. I help them create lasting healthy habits so that they can stop feeling obsessed with food and binging and yo-yo dieting once and for all. Yeah, that sounds amazing, Sabrina. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Because I know you've had your sort of own healing journey, haven't you, that's led you to do the work you do today? Yes, absolutely. I think that most people in this field have had their own experience when it comes to disordered eating and the relationship with food. And I know that I definitely did. And so when that all started for me was when I was young, when I was a young teenager, I was a synchronized swimmer growing up. And so that's a sport that is very It's very centered on your body image and you're in a bathing suit all day long and, you know, how small can your legs be and how tall are you? And if you look at the Olympic teams, they all look the same. They're all tall. They're all very, very skinny. And so I learned at a very early age that my worth was dictated by my body. And I know that that might not have been explicitly explained to me, but not only in the sport, but in culture in general, that's the kind of messaging that I really internalized. And so when I was in my last few years of the sport and I knew that I was going to retire soon, my biggest fear at that point was gaining weight because I thought that that would take away my value as a human being. I thought that that would make me less worthy or less lovable or whatever that is. And I know that I wasn't actually consciously thinking about it at the time, but it's in your subconscious. And so it's so deep rooted. And when I graduated and when I retired from the sport, I, of course, my body started to change. I wasn't training 25 hours a week anymore. I couldn't just 
eat exactly the things that I was eating for eight years of my life. And so I started getting a little bit curvier and I thought I need to do something about this, which I'm sure that you've seen in your own clients. It always starts with like body dissatisfaction. It always starts with like this desire to lose weight or to change your body. Or some people may say it's to get healthy, but a lot of the times it's associated to your body. And so I started doing what everyone else was doing. I went on Google and I started looking up ways to lose weight and I started doing low carb and cutting out sugar and counting my calories and over exercising and something that started as like this innocent desire to manage my weight spiraled over time into binge eating, into being obsessed with food, into me thinking that I was this really health conscious girl, someone who would exercise twice a day, someone who could never be seen eating a carb in front of other people or eating pizza. (laughs) And so that because I was being so restrictive, I would do that. I would either be good all day or all week, and then I would binge at night or weekends. And then eventually it spiraled into orthorexia. So I became obsessed with being healthy. I was counting every single calorie I was eating. And this was like, you know, 1200 calories. So I was hungry all the time. I was exhausted. I was, my hair was thinning out. Of course I was, yeah, I was losing weight, but I was the most unhealthy I had ever been and also the most unhappy, but I never really took the time to pay attention to what I was doing, why I was doing it. And if I was actually achieving my goals, which At the time, I don't think I even knew what my goals were. I just thought that being skinnier would make me happier, would make people love me more. And of course, we know that's not the case. Mm. Yeah, no, gosh, well, thank you for sort of sharing your journey. So can I just ask you a little bit more about to pick up on some of the points from some of the things you talked about there? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Sure. So like in the synchronized swimming as well, like I guess like on one level, it sounds like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it must have been like really kind of creative, fun sport to do. But you're sort of saying as well, like there was just such a focus on body image. And I guess just being in a swimsuit all the time, even if people weren't saying things directly, it must have been just so challenging, I guess, not to be thinking about your body a lot. Oh, a hundred percent. And some of the depends on which coaches I had, but there were some coaches who would explicitly say things like if you had a bad practice, you couldn't have cookies that day or you had to deprive yourself. It was like food became this source of punishment or this source of reward. And this didn't happen at my level, but at the Olympic level, right now there's a class accident action lawsuit against the Center for Synchronized Swimming because there were practices that were just cruel. The athletes had to weigh themselves in front of everyone every week. They had a target weight that they had to stay within, a target weight that wasn't necessarily appropriate for their bodies. And so absolutely, you may not explicitly be told that it's all about your body, but when you're seeing girls who are extremely talented, more talented than most, and they're not performing as well, or they're not being judged as well, you can tell that it's because of their body types because it's a judged sport. It's not necessarily like soccer where either you score or you don't. It's a judged sport. It's based on opinion. And a lot of the times that can reflect in 
your performance and how you're based on your body. Mm. Yeah, it makes so much sense. It must have been incredibly challenging. Like I can see it really understands like when you came out of the sport and then you, you know, you did understandably gain some weight, your body became a bit curvier. It must have been so challenging. Like you couldn't just sort of put all that body image focus just to one side, could you? Because I guess you were like so strongly conditioned, you know, like as we are in the culture anyway, but you had that exacerbated, hadn't you? Yes. And it's kind of wild because my family, God bless them. And ever since I started doing this work, they've become really good because I've taught them about diet culture and some of the comments that people make that aren't necessarily helpful. And that can really trigger someone who's struggling with their body image and food. But back then, they grew up in just very regular diet culture. And I remember this one comment that my sister had made. It was the year before I stopped the sport. And she said, if you keep eating this way, you're going to gain so much weight when you stop the sport. And I remember that comment. It stuck with me because in my mind, what my mind constructed out of that is gaining weight is going to be the worst thing in the world. So you have to do whatever you can to maintain the weight that you're in right now, which is kind of crazy because like I said, I was training 25 hours a week and I wasn't necessarily, I'm sure that you're familiar with the set point weight, like that wasn't necessarily the weight that naturally my body could fall at without my entire life being dedicated to maintaining that body size. Mm. Yeah, no, sure. So Sabrina, what brought you then to the point where you decided that enough was enough and you recognized that you had a very unhealthy relationship with food in your body and you sort of then turned in a different direction? Yeah, so this was at the point where I was struggling with orthorexia, which obviously at the time I did not know that I was struggling with that, but I knew that something was wrong. This was in university. I was at the smallest I had ever been, but I was also the most unhappy. Like I said, I didn't feel healthy. I wasn't going out to social events because I didn't want to be tempted by certain foods. I would eat very little and very quote unquote clean during the day. And then I would binge at night and I felt out of control. I felt addicted to food. And I, on a couple of occasions, scheduled an appointment with the school therapist. I had never gone to see a therapist before. And that was extremely scary for me because I was so scared to go and be labeled with that word, like having an eating disorder. And so I would schedule, but I knew that I needed help. And I knew that I couldn't get myself out of it. Like the thought of stopping counting my calories was really scary for me. Like the the thought of eating carbs again was really scary for me because I was so scared of gaining weight. And so I booked an appointment a couple of times and every time the night before or the morning of, I canceled because I would think, I'm not sick enough to do this. I don't need help. I can pull myself out of this on my own. And I know that a lot of my clients, and I'm sure a lot of your clients have felt that way too, like it's just food. You should be able to figure this out on your own. And so I never actually ended up going to the therapist. And I had gone to a point where 
I was very rapidly losing friends because I wasn't going out anymore. I was just staying at home. I was very secluded. I was very isolated and I needed a change of pace. And I had always wanted to travel in my life. I always wanted to be someone who went to different countries and tried different cultures. And I had a summer opening up for me, which means that I didn't have school. I didn't have work. I didn't have any responsibilities holding me back. And I was like, this is a perfect experience to go to Italy, which is a country I had always wanted to go to. And the thing that was holding me back from going was the fear of gaining weight, was the fear of having to eat carbs and having to eat pasta. And when I realized that, that the thought of booking a trip to Italy made me more anxious than excited, And the anxiety wasn't because I was going to be alone in a different country or I was going to travel alone for the first time. It was because of food. I knew that that was like that was a red flag. I knew that that was problematic because I knew if I don't fix this now, then all of these goals and dreams, all of these things that I want to do with my life that's not going to go away. The anxiety is not going to go away. And I'm going to hold myself back. I'm going to live a half life. I'm going to hold myself back from living the real genuine life that I want to live because I'm afraid of gaining weight. I'm afraid of eating carbs. Like that's not okay. And so it was that moment when I realized that I was holding myself back that I knew you need to do this and you need to do it even if you're terrified. So I booked the trip to Italy and I always say to my clients, like the moment you make the decision, whether it's the decision to get help, invest in a coach, go to therapy, whatever it is, talk to someone about it. It doesn't feel good. (laughs) There's like this misconception that it feels good and it feels like everything's falling into place and you feel ready for it. Like we all think that we need to be ready for it. I was not ready. It felt really uncomfortable. I almost like dreaded going, but I knew I had to. And I remember I got to Italy and the first thing I was living, I was an au pair. So I was living in an Italian family's home and I get there after like (laughs) 12 hour flight and the Italian Nana looks at me and goes, oh my God, you're so skinny. We need to get you some food. (laughs) And instantly my brain went oh my god you made a mistake this is going to be brutal you're gonna gain weight i was so all of these thoughts went in my head and they started serving me carbs right away and i had to eat them i had to eat them i was surrounded by people that's their culture and over that summer that's when my entire perspective on food and weight and exercise just completely changed because I saw a culture that celebrates food, that doesn't see food as the enemy, that doesn't talk about having to burn off their pizza the next day with over-exercising. People just move their bodies because it makes them feel good. People eat in a way that they enjoy, they connect, they slow down. They're not eating as a way of manipulating their body. They're eating as a way to feel good, both mentally and physically. And it was being in that culture, like taken away from the Western culture and really seeing a different way of life that I started noticing. Well, first of all, I started eating more carbs. I started 
I started eating more in general. I started moving my body in a different way. Instead of spending two hours at the gym, I was going for walks and I was stretching because I didn't have a gym in Italy. And my body felt better than it had ever been. And it was being able to see that, that my entire beliefs about food and dieting and nutrition just completely shifted. And I'm not going to say that when I came back from Italy, I was healed, but I had planted a seed. And so I started, when I came back to Italy, I told myself, you are going to maintain what you were doing before. You are going to start buying carbs for yourself. You're going to start having snacks that you like in your home. You are going to really expose yourself to foods that used to scare you. And you're going to make sure that you're mindful and you're paying attention and you're enjoying every single bite that you eat. So that was kind of that long story mm -hmm. short of how I came to see a different way of living. Mm. Gosh, well, thank you so much for sharing. And I just, I'm really struck actually by what a brave decision that was for you to go to Italy, because it sounds like your heart absolutely knew it was the right thing to do, but you were also absolutely terrified, weren't you, when you were like... Oh, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of like, so what I teach my clients is systematic habituation, which is starting to include fear foods into your life. And we do that, you know, we do it with them having a support but I kind of had to do that on my own because they were, I didn't have control over my food. So they were presenting me with a meal and I had to eat it. And I had to expose myself to these foods I was terrified of eating. And it was really helpful to do that in an environment where people weren't making you feel bad that you're eating pizza or pasta or whatever it is. People are just enjoying the fact that you're eating with them, that you're sharing this experience. So that was really helpful for me too. Yeah, and it sounds amazing. So yeah, what really strikes me as well, Sabrina, about that whole experience when you went to Italy is you were immersed, weren't you, in a culture where you're, like you're saying, where food is really celebrated, where it's about connection, slowing down, really thinking about feeling good, mentally and physically and it sounds like it was sort of perhaps a bit of a world away from the more kind of diet culture perspective that you had been so exposed to oh yes a hundred percent and one of the biggest fears i had when i was you know before i went to italy was if i allow myself to eat these foods I'm never going to stop. I'm just going to overeat because that was my pattern living in my disordered eating. That was my pattern when I was constantly restricting. And what I realized as I was starting to eat all these foods is that the less guilt I had and the more I just allowed these foods to come into my life, the less I craved them because I knew that I could have them whenever I wanted. And I knew that I could say yes or no, and I could listen to my body. And so I built trust with myself. I built trust with my body. It became this like really beautiful partnership instead of always being fighting my cravings and fighting my body. I would honor my cravings and sometimes I didn't need to. Sometimes I didn't have those cravings. Sometimes I would go out for gelato with friends and I just, I had had a big meal and I just knew that I didn't want it. It wouldn't make me feel good knowing that if I wanted to have it the next day, I could. It wasn't my only opportunity to do it. Mm, yeah. And I think it's so great for the listeners to hear that because I think so many people resonate with what you were going through there. So I think it's such a common thing, isn't it? That we think that if I allow all the foods, 
I'm just not going to be able to stop. It's going to be out of control. It's going to be horrible. But as you're saying, like actually when you gave yourself permission to eat the whole range of foods, actually you began to build that self-trust with your body and you found you weren't wanting to eat them all day, every day. Yes, exactly. Mm. So how did that transition then? Like you came back home again and then, you know, when did you decide that you were going to work in this field and support others to heal their relationship with food and their bodies? Yeah, so it was actually very serendipitous. So I was, my degree at that time was financial math and economics. So my path was not at all going towards being a health coach. But I came back from Italy and I was working at a restaurant at the time. And I just knew, I knew that I did not want to work in mathematics. I had done it the year before and I absolutely hated it. I didn't want to sit at a desk and I felt very unfulfilled. I knew that I wanted to help people. I just didn't know how. And so I had always been really into nutrition and fitness. So I started looking into all different things that I could do. I was like, maybe I'll become a nutritionist. Maybe I'll become a personal trainer. Maybe I'll become a dietitian. I was looking at all these different avenues. And then I was working at a restaurant at the time and it was a brand new job. And I met this woman who was my first ever table and she was a health coach. And I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. So I started looking into it. And what I really loved about it is that incorporated all of the aspects of health. It wasn't just nutrition. It wasn't just fitness because I knew that in order for someone to really change their lives, like I didn't want to give them a quick fix where they're with me for three months and then they walk away and go right back to what they were doing. Like I wanted this to be life-changing. And in order to do that, you can't just look at one facet of health. You have to look at everything. You have to look at their relationship with themselves. You have to look at their mindset, their stress, their relationships with other people, the environment that they're living in, their past. You have to look at all of that. And it just clicked for me. I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but this is exactly what I'm going to do. So that planted the seed. I finished my degree. And then I decided after that, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to get certified as a holistic health coach. So I went through the training and then that's kind of how it all bloomed from there. Mm, well, it sounds like very serendipitous, doesn't it? Like the <laughs> first table you were waiting on. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a table that I wasn't even supposed to serve, but I went to my friend who was supposed to serve them and I was like, I want that table. There was something about them. I was like, I want that table. So she was like, are you sure? Like it was like 1030 at that time. And she was like, are you sure they're going to stay late? And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with staying late. So yeah, it was extremely serendipitous. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So Sabrina, when you start working with a client, like obviously there's, you've already talked about like lots of different areas that you would cover, I guess, like that part of the coaching process. But where is your sort of starting point with someone when they come to work with you and they're really struggling with food and their body? Yeah, so the first thing we have to focus on is number one, helping them get clear on why they're going on this journey to heal their relationship with food and their bodies. Because a lot of people, when they first come to me, they think I want to lose weight and they think that intuitive eating is going to help them do that. But then when we dive deeper, what I really get to uncover is that they want to stop living 
controlled by their weight and food. They want to be able to wake up and not think about right away what they're going to eat that day or what they ate yesterday. They want to exercise because they like how it makes them feel, not because they're using it as punishment. They want to be able to just feel normal around food, eat the foods that they love, and not constantly be thinking about the next diet or the next restriction. And so it's really important to be able to understand what your why is. And that's important for anything. When I started my business, having my why was so important because starting a business is not easy. You're going to have a lot of hard times. And as long as you know what is driving you and why this is so important, you're going to be able to keep going. Because again, the intuitive eating journey, if you've been a dieter for your entire life, is not, it's not necessarily easy it's important, it's necessary, but it makes you go against the status quo because everyone is dieting. It forces you to rewire your beliefs, to rewire your brain around food and your body. That's a lot of mental work that a lot of people are not used to because dieting is quick fix. It tells you what to do, what not to do. It doesn't address the root cause of it. And addressing the root cause is so crucial because if not, it's just a band-aid. It's just a band-aid on a bullet wound. And so we get clear on their why and we uncover their history with dieting and body image and where all of this came from. Because if you don't understand where this all came from, then you're going to be wandering around in the dark with your eyes closed. You're not actually going to be understanding why you're doing something, why I'm asking you to expose yourself to fear foods or why I'm asking you to expose yourself to different body shapes and sizes and to see a different way of living because you haven't really uncovered why that started in the first place. So that's a really important place to start is kind of the, I call it the fundamentals and then I call it mindset. So mindset, understanding your thoughts, understanding your beliefs, understanding the way that your brain works. Because most people we're like our brain is like a computer and it takes in all of this programming, whether it's from your parents or from your environment or from your job or whatever it is. And we're driven by our brain. We're driven by this computer. And most people don't even know the way that this computer works. They don't know that the way that their brains and their thoughts control all of their actions and all their behaviors. So in order to change your behaviors, you need to understand what drives it, which is your brain. So that's what I help them understand as well. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And it's understanding your why is so crucial, isn't it? I really get that for like the longer term motivation and getting down to those like deep held beliefs and like, you know, getting to the root I guess, isn't it? So you can really change rather than, like you said, it being a band-aid. Exactly. Um, and I'm wondering for anyone listening, if they're like really struggling to think like, what is my why? You know, I'm just completely lost. What might you suggest that someone might do, I guess, just as a baby step to start to explore that a little bit? What would someone do in order to explore their why? I would say number one is to ask yourself, what is it costing me? right now and what has it been costing me all these years to do what I'm currently doing, right? So if that is dieting or restricting food, most people don't take the moment to pause and ask themselves how much this is affecting their lives because we're always living on autopilot. We're just going through the motion. We're doing the same thing over and over again and we're expecting different results without actually, I know that that was a big thing for me, 
it was kind of having to hit my own rock bottom, that acknowledgement that you're holding yourself back from living your life, from traveling. And I don't know if something else would have happened if that experience hadn't happened, if I would have hit a different rock bottom. But I don't think that I ever would have stopped and asked myself, what are you doing here? Look at all the friends that you're losing. Look at all the experiences and memories that you're missing out on. Look at your physical health. You're exhausted all the time. You're hungry all the time. You're thinking about food all the time. So it's making you not fully present in your life. I definitely never really took a moment to think about that because I was just so focused on this goal, which is hit a certain weight, which now I look back on and like, I don't think any number would have been small enough. I just wanted to keep going down and down and down. And I don't think that there would have been a day where I would have woken up and think, this is good. I can remain here. So I would say that looking at the cost is really important. Mm, yeah and it's so helpful I'm so with you that I think sometimes people are almost like lost in the jungle aren't they not even really knowing why they're doing what they're doing and perhaps just sort of getting from one day to the next and never really pausing and stopping and reflecting on how this is really impacting their lives you know I think it's such a great exercise isn't it like really identifying with the costs and like when you're saying there you know like you're realizing you were missing out on your friendships you're perhaps starting to turn down opportunities you're even thinking about not going traveling that started just to really I guess it just really sort of made sense then didn't it actually that this isn't working for me anymore there are so many costs yeah and I think that people the concept that there's like no pain no gain makes people think that living a healthy lifestyle has to be miserable it means giving up the things you love it means over exercising it means feeling like your health is a full-time project and that's the reason people can't stay consistent it's you can't stay consistent at something that you hate if you don't understand the intrinsic value of working out because it makes you feel good and it gives you energy instead of I'm trying to shrink my body, then what happens when you're no longer losing weight? What happens when you step on the scale and you've actually gained weight? Then you think, well, what's the point? What's the point of eating healthy? What's the point of exercising if I'm not even achieving this external goal? And then you just fall right back to your old patterns. Yeah, and it's such a great point. If it sort of feels like self-punishment and it's just and the goals are almost so unrealistic as well. It's just not sustainable, isn't it? And it's miserable. And of course, you're just gonna probably yo-yo, aren't you, from one thing to another. Exactly. So Sabrina, can you tell us a bit more about the body image part? Because obviously that was a huge part of your journey in terms of healing yourself, but then in terms as well, I guess now you're probably using that with your clients. So how do you go about <laughs> becoming more peaceful with the thought of, you know, becoming a healthy weight and letting go of that such strong desire to be thinner and thinner. Yeah, there's a few different parts and body image is a really big thing that we focus on in the program. And it's body image is a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. But the biggest thing that has been the most helpful for me is realizing that health does not equal weight. And I think that going through my own experience of having been in a smaller body and being more unhealthy than I had ever been made me realize that 
just because your body is shrinking, just because you're getting thinner, it does not mean you're getting healthier. And so that's one thing that we're constantly being convinced that it is the case. Well, no matter what, you might be starving yourself. You might be hungry all the time. Your mental health might be in crumbles. But as long as you're losing weight, you're getting healthier. And unfortunately, I think that the medical industry, the medical field really has that fat phobia, has that weight stigma. You go to the doctors and right away they tell you that you need to lose weight. And I've had so many clients who when they get that diagnosis of, okay, well, you need to lose weight. Well, then they do all these unhealthy things in order to get there. And so being able to acknowledge that you can improve your health and you may or may not lose weight. But when you focus on your health promoting habits instead, when you focus on nourishing your body enough and consistently, when you focus on giving your body the foods that it needs, and that means carbs and fats and protein, and you focus on your mental health. I mean, that part is huge. Being able to find more joy in your life and that joy can come from food. It can come from your relationships. It can come from your hobbies. It can come from the smallest things. When you're not putting all of your joy into one basket, which is food or your body, then you're able to stop turning to food for comfort because you're not trying to get that satisfaction from this one thing. You're getting it from all of these different things. And so mental health, making sure that you're focusing on finding more joy every single day is super important as well. Mm. So, yeah, so great to hear that. And I think it's such a powerful message, isn't it, to realize that health is not our weight we are so strongly conditioned to kind of think in that very binary way aren't we and it does lead people to do all kinds of crazy things which are very very unhealthy I love the idea as well about you saying about finding your joy and not finding it just in like one basket like having it in lots of different places because of yeah if you're just trying to find all your joy from like losing weight and being smaller I mean it's a miserable journey isn't it and actually you're not going to get a lot of joy and the goalposts always move and it's really hard to win so how do you help clients as well to you know they might someone listening might be thinking like I just have no idea how to find my joy outside of food or exercise so where would you begin to help someone maybe explore different avenues of finding their joy Yeah. So there's different buckets that you can look at. And one of the biggest exercises I like doing with my clients, it's such a simple question, but it's just, what are some of your hobbies? What are some of the things that you used to love doing? Because I work mostly with moms. I work with women between 30 and 50 years old. And so as we get older, as we start having responsibilities, we start having kids, we stop taking care of ourselves. We stop doing things that used to bring us joy, whether that is journaling or watching your favorite TV show or doing puzzles or whatever it is. We stop taking care of ourselves and we stop taking time for ourselves. And so number one is you can look back and ask yourself what used to bring me joy. If right now you don't even know what that is, 
what used to bring me joy. And you can also make a list. And I actually provide a list to my clients of different things that they can try if they're not even sure and see how that feels. And that really wraps up in the emotional eating sector when we talk about emotional eating in the program is having that list of different things that you know will bring you joy. Because I know for me, I was lacking so much joy because I was miserable. I was restricted all the time. When you're deprived, when your entire life focuses on food and your body, it's not a really happy way to live. And so what would happen is I was deprived all day of not only food, but of joy. And then when 8 p.m. came around, for some reason, it was like, all bets are off. Now's your time. People have gone to bed. The sun has come down. And so that's when I would emotionally eat. And I would try to fit all of my joy into that. And now I know if it's 8 p.m. and I'm not necessarily hungry, but I'm getting a craving to turn to food, then I ask myself, what do I really need right now? I have a four-step process for my clients, but like number one is what am I really needing right now? Because my body's not necessarily needing food. And so is it comfort? Is it warmth? Is it I'm feeling lonely? Is it I'm feeling bored? What am I feeling right now and what am I needing? And the next step is I know it depending on what I'm needing at that time, then what are some of the activities that are going to fulfill that need? So a lot of the time, I'm someone who's always cold. And so when I find my body temperature going down late at night, then it used to be, well, just eat food. That's going to warm you up. And now I know, okay, well, wrap yourself up in a warm blanket. Take a bath. If I'm feeling lonely, then call a friend. If I'm feeling bored, then do something that excites you. Read your favorite book. Yeah, so that is huge, is being able to know what you need and what are some of the activities that are going to fulfill that need. No, that's really, really helpful. And can I just ask you a bit as well about the movement aspect of things? Like I know you said as well in your own journey that you had to do quite a big shift. And in Italy, you're like going for walks and getting out of that like two hours a day of exercising or whatever. So what are some of the things that you do with your clients when they're feeling really stuck in that compulsive movement to take baby steps to have a healthier relationship with exercise activity? Yeah. So number one is if you're someone who uses any kind of tracking for your exercise, Fitbits, Apple Watches, Apple Health, whatever it is, take a look at your relationship with it. I know for me, my Fitbit caused me so much anxiety. If I didn't hit my step goal or my calorie goal for the day, then I would run in on spot. I would run or I would walk around my kitchen until I hit my step goal. And it got to a point where I felt controlled by my Fitbit. And so I knew, I don't think that Fitbits are bad. I don't think that fitness trackers are necessarily bad, but it's about your relationship with it. So be honest about what is my relationship with it and why am I using it? Like the intention behind it is huge. Why am I using it? Am I using it because I really do just feel curious about where my heart rate goes during my workouts? Or am I using it because I feel like if I don't track my exercise, it doesn't count. And if that's the case, then it's probably a good idea to take a little break from it. So I knew I had to take it off. And I said, and at the beginning, it caused me so much anxiety. Again, these things aren't easy. They're not fun, but they're necessary. And so I knew I said, 
I'm going to take it off. I'm going to take from ra- a break from it until that anxiety subsides and I have a positive relationship with exercise. I'm doing it because I genuinely want to because that's what's going to make my body feel good. Again, coming back to that intrinsic motivation versus I'm doing it because I want to have it on my record for the day as having done my workout. And because now I can wear my Fitbit, no problem, because I've healed my relationship with exercise. And I honestly have such a more consistent and enjoyable exercise routine. I'm not overtraining myself. I have so many injuries because I was overtraining my body. I have scoliosis, so my back is extremely fragile. And I was working out seven days a week. My body was struggling. I was always in pain. And now, on the days where I just don't think that my body needs to work out and it's not going to make it feel better, I go for a walk instead. I do some light stretching. I don't feel like my day is a scrap or I didn't do enough because I didn't get my heart rate up and I didn't hit the calories that I wanted to. So I would say number one is address the reason why you feel obsessive about exercising address if you're doing it for intrinsic motivation or if you're doing it to lose weight or to hit a certain step count or calorie count and then if that is the case if you do think that your intention might not be rooted in wanting to just make your body feel good take a break take a break from your fitbit take a break from maybe even take a break from exercise if it causes you anxiety i always say if it makes you uncomfortable go towards it because discomfort means that you're stepping out of these patterns and these mindsets that you've been doing for so long so helpful yeah thank you for sharing that sabrina and i think so many like great little tips there to get people started on shifting things so thank you for that so sabrina where can people find you if they want to maybe work with you and you know and i hear you're launching a podcast this week so do you want to say a bit more about what's going on for you and where people can get in touch if they want to Absolutely. Yes. So I'm launching my own podcast in two days. So it's called Live Unrestricted, where we are going to talk about all things intuitive eating, holistic health, how to build habits and maintain habits, how to heal your relationship with food, body image, exercise, all that fun stuff. A lot of the things that I'm sure that you talk about in your podcast as well. It's solo and guest episodes. And so that launches, you can find it on wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you want to learn how to connect with me, how to work with me, I have a group coaching program called Food Freedom Academy, where we talk about all of the things that we talked about today. And so if you're curious, I'm not sure when this episode is coming out, but the next group is starting in January 2023. And so if you want to learn more about my program, you can go to sabrinamanyao.com forward slash academy. Okay, they're lovely. You know, and all being well, Sabrina, this should be going out at the end of the week. So, um, oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, it's probably like very, again, quite serendipitous, I think, with your podcast launch and everything yes. else. So. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Sabrina, for coming on the podcast today. I think you have shared such a wealth of information there, like so many great tips and also just like your own personal story and you know the bravery that you have shown and you know immersing yourself in that Italian culture and you know really making some deep dive shifts you know I can tell that you've really kind of walked the difficult path haven't you but it's really you know propelled you to a place now where you're able to really empathize and support others to heal themselves so thank you so much thank you so much for having me for letting me 
share my story. And I think you're doing amazing work through this podcast. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Sabrina's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.